two, one. Uh, welcome again to the uh, TMG podcast. Uh, this is Chris Dufresne, co-founder of TMG, along with Herb Gould and Mark Blauchen, who are on Skype as we speak, or as we see, or as we hear. Uh, this is uh, our second podcast of the uh, season, and we're going to have a lot more of them this year. We 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 got it figured. We finally got it figured out last year, late in the year, how to do this, and we've found out it wasn't as hard as, as we thought it was, uh, and that even we could do it. So uh, we're going to have a lot of podcasts this year, probably one a week once we get to the season, and it will be a lot of fun. So let's get uh, right into the day's news, and uh, before we get to some fun stuff, there there were actually a couple of passings today in, in college football, notably Era Parsegan, the famed Notre Dame coach who died at uh, age 94, but also John Reeves, a former Florida quarterback, uh, who was uh, much younger. He was only 67. Um, and uh, so, you know, kind of, a, kind of a sad day for an August 2nd. But uh, Herb, I think, is, is probably of, of the three of us, and I spoke to Era a few times on the phone through the years doing stories, but Herb uh, probably had the best relationship with, with him, uh, although it's amazing to think that he left the sport or of college football uh, at age 51 in 1974. Man, that's 40-something years ago, and we're still talking about him. So, Herb, what are your memories of, of Era uh, and kind of his legacy? Well, you know, he he was one of those. He, there, there have been a, a series of legendary coaches at Notre Dame. I mean, you start with Rockney and, and Frank Leahy and, and Era's right there. Um, those are, you know, those are the three that really jump out at you. As you mentioned, retiring at 51, it's kind of a measure of, of what a difficult job that was and, and remains. It, it wore him out in some ways, but when I was around him, you know, we would see him at practice or in the press box. And he was always available for a real candid comment, just a real gentleman, a real gentleman, real knowledgeable, comes from that, you know, came from that Miami of Ohio, right. uh, cradle of coaches, uh, played for Paul Brown very briefly. Uh, he had a great run at Northwestern, very brief, and then moved over to Notre Dame and really was, you know, the coach emeritus for decades um, and set the bar very high there and you know made it it's noted that's why Notre Dame's expectations are so high I believe because you had coaches like Eric Parsegian and, and and Frank Leahy and and uh and the immortal Rockney you know Lou Lou Holtz did some of that stuff and it, it still Char- wasn't good enough you Char- know Charlie I mean? Weiss Char- don't, don't forget Charlie uh, Weiss legendary Charlie Weiss legendary con- <laughs> legendary contract at least <laughs> So. Well, I, 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 after after Ara died, I, I went back and looked up some some little factoids, you know, and I, everyone knew how good he was, but but sometimes you forget, like he was there eleven years, nine top ten finishes, six in the top five, two national championships, which is speaks for itself. But then you, you break it down individually, and do I mean, I, you know, this is in your area. OJ came in into uh, play in South Bend in '67, 150 yards and three touchdowns. And USC won twenty-four to seven. Okay, so so Arab frets all as most good coaches do frets all over about. So they have a re- return match out of USC the next next year. Well, 
not Notre Dame not only wins, OJ gets a career low 55 yards wow. against Notre Dame. 55 yards rushing against Notre Dame. And then basically, Ara just, you know, his old game plan was probably said, okay, well, we're going to we're going to lose, but he's not going to beat us again. I mean, that's what great coaches do. And, you know, whether it's Saban or Urban Meyer, and, and, and he was certainly, uh, you know, the, the front runner for, the, for, that, for that era. You know, like, like Herb said, Rockney, Rockney and, and Ara are, are certainly, I would think, you know, close to one-two in Notre Dame hierarchy. You know, Lee, obviously, but but those two, yeah. it's definitely up there. 17 losses in those 11 years. Yeah. 95 wins, 17 losses. Four ties, and and one of the ties, probably the most famous <laughs> tie in college football. Which one was that? <laughs> that <would> be, <laughs> oh, I think they played Michigan State to a draw there with Bubba Smith. That was a, I, I mean, I still remember watching that one on on a crackly television <laughs> when I was a kid. The tie, tie one for the Gipper, as as Dan Jenkins wrote in, in Sports Illustrated, uh, one of the fame, you know, best lines of uh, sports writing lines of that of that time. And Era, you know, Era to the very end defended that decision uh, to to play for the tie, uh, and you know it's 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 arguable, but but he did end up getting a, a, the national uh, securing the national title. You got you got to remember back then it was uh, it was different. It was uh, a beauty contest, and a and a, a tie was certainly better than risking a loss in his situation. Alabama people are still. You know, TO'd about that season. They thought they should have been the national title. But, you know, Alabama has enough titles. I don't know why they have to, you know. You know well, no, that's right. But, you know, that's always the thing. When you talk about Taiwan for the Gipper, <laughs> the thing that was, that was always amazing to me when I was around Notre Dame day to day was the, how many people were larger than life. And Era was certainly one. He was probably the last one, even though Holtz did a lot of things, you know, in terms of wins and losses. Father Hesburgh, who who ran the university, and Father Joyce, who was basically above, you know, the executive athletic director. These people were, you know, I was never a Notre Dame guy. When I was a kid, I sort of, I didn't like Notre Dame yeah. because they won much. But when you're around them, you just have to have a, an appreciation for the people and, and Era Parsegian is right there among that group. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. It, I even remember when the first when after Ronald Reagan, President Reagan, uh, was shot. His first public appearance was to give the commencement address at Notre Dame, and I went down there. This was before I was doing sports. I was a news side guy, and they brought in Pat O'Brien. I, I thought of this because you mentioned the Gipper because. Obviously, Reagan played the Gipper, right. and and Pat O'Brien played Newt Rockney, and I, I spent the day with uh, Newt Rockney <laughs> slash Pat O'Brien, and he was he was about eighty something, and he was he was a lot of fun. I'm not sure if the elevator still went all the way to the top, but just delightful, you know. And these are the kinds of people that you saw at Notre Dame. It's why Notre Dame is, you know, sort of a unique institution, uh, less so in the current era. But but you go back to Era Parsegian, and, and so many of those people were just unique and, and, and legendary for all the right reasons. Yeah, uh, you know, well, you mentioned you... this guy. Think about this guys: is that Ara and, and Bud Wilkinson, who was at Oklahoma, were two of the legendary coaches of their era. Went on to become television broadcast analysts, right? Two, I mean, they were, they, I, most is a whole generation of Americans that remembers not as coaches, but as but as TV broadcasters, right? Yeah, can thing. you can you picture? Uh, Urban Meyer and Nick Saban, fifteen years from now, uh, 
being being analysts for uh, like you know color analysts. I can't. I mean, it's a different. They were they were yeah. they were good coaches, but they seemed to, they they also had a, uh, were nice guys and human beings. It seemed to me, yeah. as, as opposed to you know like Urban has his quirks and certainly certainly Nick has his quirks, but but they don't pre- present the same image. Yeah, uh, you know there was a you mentioned the reverence that uh, of Eric Parsega, and I think that and he probably was the last one. Because you, even Lou Holtz, he Holtz is, was, it has a goofy element to him. You know, people make fun of him, and uh, it, you know there wasn't that same sort of reverence uh, that I think people hold for Era. Uh, and you mentioned uh, Herbie mentioned him being at Northwestern, and I it, it, it was amazing when you look at the story. He he beat Woody three times uh, at Northwestern, which is you know given the uh, the arsenals that each of those programs had, it was an amazing stat. And he was also Three and zero against Bear Bryant um, by a, by a total of six points. If if, if Ivan Mazel's reporting is right, um, the only guy he had trouble with was McKay. And McKay, you know, McKay had his number. Uh, he was three six and two against John McKay. Um, but uh, you know, all in all, for eleven years at Notre Dame, I said those are like dog years. Uh, you know, so uh, we we pay tribute, and I know we're kind of being having. Uh, uh, short thrift to to John Reeves, who we didn't we didn't know as well. I actually <laughs> covered him when he was he was a quarterback in the USFL. Uh, played for Steve Spurrier, a couple of Florida guys. But uh, anyway, well, let's let's move on a little bit. Um, a lot of a lot of stuff out there on the table. I mean, since our last uh, podcast, we we had Tony Barnhart on Mr. College Football, and we got into a little bit of the. The Hugh Freeze situation at Ole Miss, which was dicey two weeks ago, and then uh, since then he was run out of town on a rail uh, for stuff that uh, I think a lot of us suspected that he was he was not this uh, Bible thumping hymn singer that he he uh, he led on to believe. But uh, you know, Ole Miss is now Ole Miss, um, uh, and uh, who knows what's going to happen to that that program? Any thoughts on uh, Hugh Freeze or? Well, you, well it's, it's, like, it's like in the SEC. I mean, you, I yeah. mean if you're not Alabama, if you're not, if you're not Georgia, you're not Florida, right, you know, the second tier, I don't want to call them second tier, but but those teams, Mississippi, Mississippi State, they have their runs. But every time you, they have a run, you, you kind of look under the covers and see, okay, how did they get to it? Because it doesn't come, seem come natural. Now, I'm not saying that there was widespread, you know, cheating going on. I mean, they haven't put up, but, but, but you just kind of look and say, what's, Something always seems to happen for, for programs that have runs that you don't expect them to come, and yeah. whether it's the coach, whether it's something else, and then this is another example of it. Yeah, the, the stakes are, are so high in college football now, and, and as high as they are around the country, they are they're they're not higher anywhere than they are in the in the SEC, and so you know risks are taken, gambles are are made on people that probably you know are are not really wise. And, and this is another example of that. You know, you, you look around that league and, and, and like Blouse said, I mean, they, it just seems like any team that, that gets it going a little bit, you yeah. know, there, there's an ugly underbelly right. and uh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. And uh, you mean, you're always cynical when you look at these things, it's hard not to be, but uh, cynical. cynical us. What do you mean? Cynical. Uh, but you're looking at, uh, you know, he ultimately was done in by some questionable phone calls that were, you know, uh, connected back to his, uh, s- to his cell phone 
but he also they also finished last in the SEC West last year. You know, never never underestimate the the, the record when they're when a, when a program does things for the right reason. Um, first of all, you know, once once he gets caught uh, is one thing, but also, you know, if they were f- uh, first in the SEC West last year, he would have gotten a lot more leeway, I think, and might not. This might have been a different story, but uh, yeah, you know, it's it's uh, it's always something in the SEC, and, and now it's always something early because, uh, and you guys, I know, picked up on this, but you know, pe- teams are already practicing. It's August second. Some schools started practice this year in July because the, of the NCA doing away with the two-a-day um, practice rule. As I noted in my my story, this you know the same year Frank Cush dies, they they, they you know they they eliminate two-a-day uh, practices, um, but they didn't eliminate the number of practices, which are still twenty-nine. So you got you know, a lot of coaches that are not very happy about reporting on July thirty-first for. You know, for a month of one a days. So does this have to be? Guys, that, that I mean, there were, there were guys who, I mean, I, I think UConn, I mean, I'm pretty sure, open, uh, began practice last Friday, which is, you know, yeah. that, that really pushed. Well, yeah. yeah, you know, when you add into it, I mean, they they, they slipped in that 12th game, uh, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, and then, They've slipped in, you know, an extra buy, and you know, I mean, these seasons are getting longer and longer, and you know, maybe maybe having two bye weeks in a season is a good thing from a standpoint of keeping your players healthy, but but it all adds up to long seasons. I mean, I, I can remember in the Big Ten, it was pretty steadfast that they didn't want to play on Thanksgiving weekend, and yeah. uh, that that went. Uh, by the boards not long ago. In fact, I remember going to the Maui basketball tournament with Illinois basketball twice before, you know, before they changed. And and there was no basketball, there was no football game uh, on Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, And then that changed and it was like hard to decide, you know, Uh, you know, you're going to go to a Maui tournament or or any of those pre, you know, Thanksgiving week tournaments you know, these seasons are just going on and on, and you know some of it might be good for keeping players healthy. But I, you know, I don't want to hear these guys complaining about you know seasons starting too early when uh, when they are very much involved in making these seasons last very long. Well, that that's also another. And we talked about this before, and what what gets me going on the rant is about not only too early, but playing games Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, <laughs> every every day of the week now has games. And and they hide a ridiculousness was was I saw we, we talked about this earlier I think even in the spring they looked at the Mid American Conference schedule right for we released for this year this year in the month of November there is not one MAC conference game in the month of November <laughs> on Saturday zero, well we're... zero MAC conference games are scheduled for on Saturday on, I'm sorry I'm, I'm, I might say on Saturday in November no Saturday MAC conference games hey, all yeah. during the week. Then yeah. that's a good point, Blau. I, I think the one thing that that helps them a little bit, you know, is the fact that they do play all those Tuesday, Wednesday uh, type games. At least then they've got, um, you know, they, they've what? at least got you know enough time to prepare, <laughs> recover. You know, I. But it is weird, and then you know they'll tell you they're doing that because yeah. that's doing that. Student athlete, uh, her, you know, oh, yeah, Tuesday yeah. night game. What, what, what? Let's see. When do you fly? You fly Tuesday afternoon for for a game? Come that, on. That train. That's Tuesday night. 
that tra- that train left the station a long time ago. The student athlete thing. I don't even. I don't even. Uh, I don't even listen to that anymore. It's all about you know. It's all about uh, taking advantage of your advantages. And if 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 Tuesday night, and I understand why they do it. Uh, no, you know the Big Ten's not going to give up Saturday at noon, and uh, where are they going to go uh, to get to get on television? And uh, so I, I understand it. I think it's I think it's wrong. It's it's you know Tuesday should be bowling night. I've always said that it should there should be no football games being played on Tuesdays. But uh, you look, this is they're they're getting the they're they're in a struggle for survival. You know these uh, these group of fives uh, conferences. Um, they're just getting squeezed out by the Power Five. The Power Five would, would would rather they just go away, form their own conference. So I think they're doing. This is a manifestation of what's happened uh, in college football. The rich, uh, you know, the class system that has emerged, uh, and the rich are getting richer, and the and the and the stragglers having the doing anything they can to survive. So, but it's still wrong. But I understand why they're doing. Yeah, it. Yeah, I, I wasn't trying to defend it. I no, mean, I guess just it is what it is. Saving grace is that. You know this business where you know they're playing short week stuff. At least they, they as long as they're going to do it, at least get out of the short weeks. Yeah. But yeah, they just they just struggle. I mean, I, I was at uh, Northern Illinois played a game at, at uh, White Sox Park in November on a midweek night, and uh, they you know they didn't really get that big of a crowd. I mean, they they tried you know they were happy with it, but it really it really it really is true that you know there's there's the haves and the have-nots in in college football and, and conferences like the mac really just are in a battle for survival yeah that's what it is well uh, i agree with that but then but let them play their, their gimmick games you know september october when you get out in november when it comes to crunch time i mean come on get some some decency saturday football <laughs> there's nothing wrong with saturday football in november I mean, you know, I mean, Tuesday night in the rain between between Northern Illinois and Eastern Michigan. I mean, you know, come on. That, yeah, but you know a, what? You know what? You end up you end up watching those games because you're sitting at home, uh, you know, watching. I, I do. I mean, I'll, I'll watch them by accident. I'll watch them by accident, and then a lot of times they're 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 very entertaining, and you end up, you know, so they must okay. they must the ratings must support it. Uh, it's just you know this is part of you know trying to figure out the sport and, and maneuvering through. The machinations of of uh, of this uh, of the season is, is very interesting, and I like that this week Nick Saban brought up and Nick Saban, who you know, for all his faults and, and, and you know he has some good ideas on on the state of the game, and one of them is my one of my pet peeves about everybody playing the same number of conference games, um, and right. we're trying to decide at a national title and who's supposed to be in a playoff. You got one conference that's playing. You know, eight, eight games. You got uh, one's playing. Everybody else is playing nine, and it's a series of dodgeball uh, in scheduling and and who your who your random misses are. The the thing that you know with the the, the formation of divisions in in college football, where you get these misses, and I, I I did look some of the stuff up for my story, and you got some big misses. Yeah, you know when when the Big Ten is 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 fourteen teams now, and the SEC is fourteen. You got teams that don't play each other unless they make, right. you know, and uh, you know it's like okay, but is this is this you, when you say you're in the SEC uh, East and you don't play anybody in the SEC West in the regular season, um, and you say our conference top to bottom is better than anybody's? Well, how do you know you didn't play you didn't play all the good teams? So 
but Saban mentioned, and I, I sort of agree. Everybody played ten conference games, and then two, uh, you know, two play two of anybody else you want on that schedule. I'm sure again the the MAC isn't going to like that, but just some sort of uniformity so we can measure these teams fairly and not, you know, well, they played this or they didn't play this or they missed, you know, what do you think about this? Well, let me ask you this. If, if, that, if that comes true, let's say you pass that rule and it's 10, 10 SEC games, do you think that is any way in hell that, that Nick Saban opens a season against Florida State as, as one of the non-conference games? Not, not a chance. Well, you know. He'll, he'll play two of your place. Central, I mean, they will play Middle Tennessee. Yeah, but as long as you're playing, if, if he's playing two more SEC games, then at least, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, you can, you can measure that. Um, oh, sure, you can measure, but, but, but who's going to lose there? I mean, I mean Florida, Florida State, Alabama is a great way for the season open, Labor Day weekend. That's a great game everyone will watch. Right. And it might be the game that ends the season as well in Atlanta. Here, here, but that, that game will disappear if you have 10 Those games will disappear if you have 10 regular season games, uh, regular well, season conference games. The Big Ten's come down in the middle with, with nine. Um, you know, I'm not, that's not, it's not the most appetizing scenario either when you have nine because now you got, you know, one or the other division playing only four home games. Um, you know, the other part of it that would mitigate is if you could have league champions in your playoff. But, you know, as as we discussed last winter with uh, a bunch of college football experts and insiders, that's, you know, not going to happen. So, you know, Blau's right. You're going to lose the, the great you know, interconference uh, opening games, if you go to 10, I well, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think they're just going to bump along. And then the other part, I think, with the Big Ten, and, and probably that's going to be an SEC motivation, too, is when you play, you know, com- more conference games, you don't have to share with the non-conference opponents, you know, from a revenue standpoint. And, you know, that's a factor. These guys are... This is just such an arms race. I mean, Illinois is now spending like $70 million on a facilities upgrade. And, it, you know, every little program is, is spending, you know, tens of millions of dollars. And so they're squeezing every nickel out of it with all of these changes. Well, you know, how about how about the SEC just move up to nine like everybody else? And, and that, that would be, it makes sense. Uh, Herb, in the Big Ten, uh, these teams are not playing this year. Yeah, Michigan and Nebraska, Michigan Northwestern, Michigan Iowa, Iowa State Nebraska, Wisconsin Ohio State, uh, the SEC. You know, Florida Alabama are not playing. Florida Auburn not playing. Georgia Alabama not playing. Georgia LSU not playing. Tennessee Auburn not playing. Uh, USC isn't playing Washington, and you know until the championship game, uh, USC's not playing Oregon. Stanford's not playing Colorado. Uh, the, this is the byproduct of, of divisional splits, um, and uh, you know, and then you, you try to figure out at the end of the season, well, who who played in a tough conference? I'm going, well, I don't, I'm not sure. So you know, the big, the big, so you know, it's it's it, it just muddles everything. And at least you know, the Big Twelve, the Big Twelve, because they only have ten teams. Uh, you know, they are playing a a a true round robin and. Uh, and probably it is the fairest measure of, of, of who, you know, of, of a conference champion, but, it, you know. They get penalized most, do. Well, because, uh, they, well, know, they do, but they're, you know. In the, you know, at, at the website 
recently. And, and you know, I've, I've maintained that from day one. Once you, once, once the Big Ten started getting, you know, beyond, I mean, even at 11 teams, they weren't, you know, the round robin thing was, was not going to happen. And so, you know, the key misses, you know, if two championship caliber teams don't play each other, that changes the whole equation in terms of your champion. And, and really what you have to do now is you have to think of these East and West uh, divisions as, or North and South or whatever, Atlantic and Coastal. These are really sort of two leagues that are a federation. Right. You know, I mean, I mean, the Western division of the Big Ten is, is, is a far different animal than the Eastern division. And we see the same thing in, in the SEC and uh, the ACC. The, you know, the, if you're in the if you're in the good division, you, you might be really good, and you're not going to get to that champ game. And if you're in the other division, you might you know you might be able to skate in. And that's just the way it goes when when your leagues are de- determined by television markets, which is really what's going on in the world. I mean, these, they want these big you know multi-team yeah. leagues uh, because that's what's going to give them the best television opportunities. And that's why, you know, as, as Blau's written, uh, that's why the Big 12 is on shaky ground because they don't have those television markets. Yeah, and, you know, in, in the Pac-12, you have, they have certain uh, matchups that have to, they have to be played. UCLA and USC have to play um, Cal and Stanford in the North. That was part of the agreement. So, you know, it's not even a true, um, you know, rotational system. Because uh, because of certain setups like that, and it's, there's there are certain ones in uh, you know other conferences too. But you know it's just it's just all part of the uh, menagerie of this of this sport. But uh, uh, let's move on and, and and get to sort of wrapping this up. But I thought Blau had a good story this week about um, you know the big impact coaches. We talked about teams getting started this week. Uh, what? new coach is going to have the the biggest impact on uh, on his new team um and uh, i think it's pretty obvious that that, that blau you mentioned uh, tom herman to texas yes. um is probably you had him number one uh probably the the most watched story going on this year i think yeah i, I think so just because because i mean it, it is texas and, and tom herman was the hot name Last year, and now everyone's going to, you know, see what he does. You know, and uh, the, the the added star obviously was was you know, interestingly, was in the league, is because you go up to up the road to Oklahoma, and, and they, you know, with with Stoops stepping down, now you got a new, you got an old rivalry with two new coaches, and that that could be a, a ten years from now, that could be that could be Osborne and, and Switzer. I don't know. Yeah. Well, that was a really good piece, Blau, and and, and that's a really good point. I, I, Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. Huh. That that one intrigued me almost almost intrigues me more than Herman because I think Herman yeah, sure. Herman is sort of just a question of when. You know, it's not if. Uh, Lincoln Riley probably is like that, but when you put a, a guy who's not no head coaching experience into that chair. You really, you know, you're really pushing the envelope on that. Um, we've seen it, you know. I mean, I've seen it in basketball where it works. In, in, in Chicago, I, <laughs> I said the the Tom Herman thing. Uh, well, Lincoln Riley thing reminds me of you know, Phil Jackson taking over the Bulls. You know, uh, you know, Doug Collins had the players were there, 
I mean, Oklahoma's ready to win now. I mean, it could win it all. I mean, and and so you bring in a young guy, and and he's just sort of, you know, is he going to screw it up or not? You know, Tom Herman's going to have to, you know, although Texas does have some players, you know, Oklahoma I think is ready to win right now. And I think that's why Stoops left when he did, you know, because he knew that he wanted Lincoln uh, to replace him, and that he 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 had him set up pretty well. So. Uh, yeah, I think really, in, in a way, in my mind, there's more pressure on Lincoln Riley there than there is on, on Herman, because yeah. Herman can, you know, fall back on, well, you know, it wasn't really going real well when I got here, and, you know, even if he doesn't say it, we can look from the outside and say, you know, there's a little more of a project going on there. He gets a little yeah. bit of a grace period. With Lincoln Riley, I don't know, you know, how that grace period is going to fly if if they have some struggles that are, you know, outside of the expected level of struggles. You know, there could be some real, you know, issues in Norman. Yeah, I mean, but I don't know how much of grace period there ever is in Texas, you know, either. Too. Well, there, so. I, mean, I, I, mean, I, I think I, you're, you're right in one sense, right? But, but I think it, uh, that Tom Herman will have very little grace period because, I mean, didn't Texas win eight games last year? Texas? No, they won uh, they were five and seven, I think. Okay. So yeah, so it's it's, it's uh, uh, yeah, you, you you must remember you probably remember their opening game when they beat Notre Dame right. Notre Dame in a thriller and looked like they were going to be good, uh, and uh, they but they end up stumbling stumbling to the finish line. Uh, it'll be fun. Uh, Texas comes out to play USC in September, a game that TMG will probably staff. I'm not sure. Uh, I'll cover it, but maybe Mark, you can fly out. Yeah, you know, so do that one. Uh, well, after, after we go to uh, DeKalb for the BC NIU game. <laughs> That's right. There you go. And of course, there were StubHub's got a monopoly on those tickets at Chestnut Hill. Well, I don't want I don't want to give this too much away from our our preseason planning, but the state of Texas. I did a story that's in the well on the state of Texas having a little bit to prove, and uh, and and A and M's coming out to play UCLA in the opener. The state of Texas, which has 12 division, well, whatever we'd call them, power five uh, schools, uh, zero teams in the final AP poll last year. So, um, but I, I did a story, kind of a little fun look at at what ha- what's happened to the state of Texas and how it might rebound. But it's a big, you know, it's a big, big year for the Lone Star State and not just the, the school in Austin. A lot of hot seats. Oh yeah, I mean A and M and Houston are both. You know, Houston is going to have after what Herman did. I mean, was that a you know what will they disappear within within God? I mean, a lot of people when they were making a run for the Big Twelve said that that Houston put everything it had, wow. facilities and money, into there. When they didn't get it, now they're going to fall back. Never. They're over. They're over budget, and they might. They might. And and you, and you got Major Applewhite, oh. which is interesting. The connect, Texas connection running the show. Never, never doubt the major. We've seen this before. The major was one of my favorite players uh, in, in college history, and uh, as I said unless Mac Brown comes in and, and puts uh, names Chris Sims the starter, the starting coach at Houston, I think he'll be all right. But uh, okay. interesting things. Uh, another Herb in your league, uh, PJ Fleck. That was probably another one of the big. Uh, and I, I sort of, I, you know, and it kind of diminishes what would have been an interesting opener. I might have covered this had PJ Fleck. Still been the coach at Western Michigan. Do you know they open at USC? I mean, you look. USC's non-conference schedule this year was Western Michigan, Texas, Notre Dame. 
Um, but that game is a little bit diminished because you know Fleck is not will not be with uh, with Western Michigan when they come out here. But is that you know what what that what does that hire do for you? Um, I like a, it. Yeah. You know, I, one the the question I had was why he was passing on yeah. some jobs that you know I mean the Cincinnati job that that was not you know that was that was a nice stepping stone kind of a job if you look at the people that have had it before. Um, and then I, I think that there was I, I you know I I don't want to say it too strongly because I don't have any evidence but I guess I wouldn't surprise me if if there was a little conspiracy theory going on there that Minnesota knew that they were going to be making a coaching change because Tracy Clay's was you know he right. was in some off the field hot water yeah. uh, and yet they wanted to wait through the bowl. And, I, you know, I, I just kind of think that he knew that they were going to do that up there. And Minnesota, a lot of people don't realize that that's a, that's a program that could really do well with the right guy. They built a very nice stadium fairly recently. They've got all their alums and their, and their money people right in that metropolitan area. Uh, Minnesota, if you go back, you know, to ancient times, yes. has a great tradition. They won national championships in the 30s and 40s with these guys from the Iron Range. I'm not saying they're going to do that again, but but that's a program that could do pretty well, and I think they could do pretty well this year because he's really a music man. I mean, I think P.J. Fleck has got a tremendous upside, and uh, with the personnel they have there and with the, the fan base they have there, you know, Minnesota could have a really surprisingly yeah. good year. Row, row the boat, and you know what these—you know—it's it's these guys. It's these guys that you you see come up. A lot of them through the Mac, yeah, <laughs> Urban yeah, Meyer. You know, the, Urban the Meyer. has got the reality show. Being PJ Fleck, wow. he made a point of saying at Media Day that he would not necessarily have chosen that title, which was good to hear. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's he the row the boat, and then he also made a point of saying that he makes no money off the trademarking of well, well, row the. Well, that's good enough. Uh, so I'm glad. Minnesota yeah, so did pick that up. But he seems to be one of these guys that you can't. And I tell people all the time, I don't know why these guys are so good, but they just are. And if you know, if you if you're an AD and you can recognize that guy, if you knew, you know, when Urban was on Notre Dame staff or what he did at Bowling Green, um, you just some guys. Why is Nick Saban so great? I don't know. He just is. If you hire him, you'll win. Urban Meyer, you'll win. And, and, and Tom Herman, I think, might be one of those guys. And P.J. Fleck, I think, might be one of those guys. I don't know why. Just hire him if you can. And then and Chris Peterson, I don't know why. But in three years, you'll be better. You'll be competing for stuff. And, um, you know, that's kind of one of the, you know, the mysteries of, of this sport. Sometimes you just really don't know why. No, that's right, and, and I wonder, you know, I mean, just in terms of I mean, P.J. Fleck is from far western suburbs of Chicago, uh, played at Northern Illinois, coached at Northern Illinois. I mean, he has a lot of, you know, Illinois kind of roots, and I wonder over the long term, I mean, Lovey Smith was a really good hire because he gave Illinois some credibility, but what you really want to do is, like you said, you want to identify one of these prodigies a guy that you can, you know, plug in and he's going to be there for a long, long time. I wonder if, you know, in hindsight, you know, maybe Illinois will wish that they had gotten on the P.J. Fleck bandwagon, even though the timing wasn't right yeah. to do it from a practical standpoint. Well, time, you know, as we know, timing is <laughs> timing is everything in a lot of these things, um, like, you know, like urban, urban to, to Florida instead of Notre Dame, you know, the right time. 
right time, wrong time kind of thing. But, uh, well, we're probably, get, we're probably getting into our uh, uh, rundown time here. So unless there's anything else you can, you guys have on your mind, a beef, what's your beef? Um, uh, you know, I think we'll probably check out. I, I was going to do a, maybe a little thing about if you had a, a surprise team this year, just in, you know, I know it's early August, but is it? You know, I'm thinking, you know, Willie Taggart in Oregon. To me, that's a team I think they can go four and eight to eight and four, like right now, uh, just with the coaching hire. Is there anyone other team out there that that matches? And don't say Notre Dame either, or well, it might be Notre Dame. I got South okay. Florida. South Florida. We all yeah. Look at okay look at the schedule. Look at the schedule. If you, if you can find a loss in the schedule. Through November, through through October, go for it. And then they're going to start. They're going to start of winning eight, nine, ten games. Under, you know, with with what's the dagger there? So I think they could be. They're going to be. I think they're going to be the the non qualified. They're going to be the, the Western Michigan of, the, of this year. Are you going to are going to be in your Super Sixteen to start the, the countdown, or you want to give that away yet? Oh, they'll be in there. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. All right, well, that's good. I mean, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't see the obscure one just yet because I haven't poured over it. I'll be, I'm real interested to see, you know, what Northwestern does. He's got a ton of stuff back. He's got, you know, he's got a quarterback and a running back who are, you know, they're not going to get the attention that the Penn State guys get, but they're, they're really good, you know, and, and I'll, I'll be real interested to see how they do. They, they open the Big Ten with Wisconsin and Penn State and the, you know, the assumption, of course, is that going to be that those aren't going to go well for Northwestern. But if they but do, they, yeah, this <laughs> is in place. You yeah. know, uh, I, they, you know, we, ne- you know, and if you think about it, they've never, you know, Northwestern's never, you know, they, they haven't knocked on the even the conference championship door, and it's so hard for, you know, those kind, you know, that that school just hasn't done it. But there's somebody that I, I, I want to see how they do it because he's got a lot of pieces in place and. And I, I'm a big believer in, in the way Pat Fitzgerald runs that program. Yeah, the shine came off him a little bit the last couple of years when he was, you know, two or three years ago, he was the hot, hot name. Of course, he refused to go anywhere and and is in for the long run, uh, which is good because that means he can endure um, less than terrific seasons, you know, and not and not feel like he has has that kind of pressure. And I think that he's the perfect coach for that kind of program. So. Anyway, let's uh, let's get out of here and get back to our summer vacations, and uh, we will we'll cue out with some music that I'm sure you're going to enjoy. And until next time, we'll be back in a couple weeks, a few weeks, probably around Labor Day to kick off the season, and we're going to have a lot of fun this year. So see you later.